Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Ready Eddy membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up-and-coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products, anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements. Anything you could think of to support your outdoor activities is on the platform from small up-and-coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members to get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Lives In Designs. Lives In creates durable, versatile clothing so you can own less and spend more time doing the things you love. Learn more by heading to livesin.com. That's L-I-V-S-N.com. Does your e-commerce site need a boost? Tribe Alpha can improve the performance of your online store. And Ready Eddy podcast listeners get a special discount. Visit tribealpha.com slash deal for a 10% discount. That's tribealpha.com slash deal. What is going on, Red Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, host. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with the founder of Sway Hammocks, Seth Hill. Seth, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. Definitely. All right. So for the listener that may not be familiar with Sway Hammocks, how would you best describe your business to them? So first I would ask them, hey, have you ever been hammock camping? If they say yes, then I'll be like, great, tell me about that experience. And usually what follows is a story about uh, them going out in the summertime, you know, maybe going with or without a sleeping bag. For those that are planners, usually with a sleeping bag. And then when you take a sleeping bag and you put it in a hammock, one thing happens that is the detriment of all of our backside. So when you get inside, you snuggle up for the night and then you notice even in the summertime, if you have a slight breeze, it the uh, air going underneath you acts like the bridge ices before the road effect. And it essentially pulls all of the heat off of your backside because the insulation that's supposed to be keeping you uh, warmer with loft actually is all compressed. So it just makes it terrible. So what I would say is like, yeah, when it comes to insulated hammocks or when it comes to hammocks in general, we essentially take the hammock and innovate it to include an all-in-one sleep system. So for those in the hammocking world, instead of having to go out and buy a regular hammock, some straps, a top quilt, an under quilt to keep your top and underside warm, and then a uh, rain fly and maybe even a pad. Instead of buying all those different things, we say, hey, you know what? Why don't we create an all-in-one system that does it all? So we have two products. One of them is the Primus. So that one uh, is about five pounds. It comes with synthetic insulation, a fully encompassing like cocoon, basically. It's the hammock. It looks like a sleeping bag, can be used as a sleeping bag. It comes with the straps as well. And then the IRA, to be super simple, it's just down insulated. It's significantly um, less in size and in weight. So it's about three and a half pounds. And then you can pack it down to almost 30% the size of the Primus. And it comes with a rain plant as well. So. That's a lot of information. I probably went a little too deep into it. <laughs> no, no, I love it. I think it gives our listeners kind of a perfect idea of like exactly what you do. 
Yeah. Um, and I think you kind of, you bring up a few points and I, I'm going to come back to the products later. I want to kind of talk more mm-hmm. about the inception of yeah. Sway. So you first started working on it in 2014 um, mm-hmm. in college and then 2017, you kind of went full time with it. Um, back me up and let's talk about sort of your, your upbringing. Uh, did you kind of grow up as an outdoorsy person? Uh, camping frequently um and did you kind of have an idea that maybe eventually you'd want to start a business of some kind yeah so that's a great question uh starting when i was really young my so my dad was an entrepreneur not one of great success mind you but he always had ideas and things going so i kind of give some credit to him but my first real like business idea i remember coming to me it's vivid and in my mind like bright as day i was like six years old and my mom and dad were running this what they call a family care home so it was um essentially there was a house it was split into two parts my family lived on one side and then these people that were mentally ill or you know just maybe had really severe autism or other kind of mental illnesses lived in the other side of the house and my family ran that and you know it's kind of an entrepreneur type of thing where my dad was running that while uh, going to school to become a nurse. And he was also doing a lot of like music stuff and being a drummer and trying to sell stuff. So we had a kind of an atmosphere there that was surrounded uh, by entrepreneurship, uh, even though at that time, obviously I couldn't tell you what that was. But I remember at that specific house, uh, being six years old, we had a row of like five apple trees in the backyard. And we lived there for a number of years. And after like the first year, I remember thinking like, you know, those are apples growing on the trees. Like one, why aren't we eating them? Two, why do we let them like, ripen, fall to the ground, and then rot. And I don't know what it was in me, but I had a little tykes pull behind kind of wagon. And I went and picked those suckers up. I took them to the back of my house where we had a little water spigot. I washed those apples off and tasted it. I was like, yeah, this is a decent apple. And I went inside. I was like, mom, I want to sell these apples. So she's like, okay, well, here's some paper bags. Here's a Sharpie. Uh, Here's a stapler. Go clean them off, wash them off, bag them up and try to sell them. So I like, set up, you know, most kids do a lemonade stand. I had an apple stand and kind of washed these things, bagged them up, uh, $2 for four apples or something crazy like that. And just sat on the street and started selling them. Now, the sad part is that not many people bought those apples. And it was because I didn't do the right market feasibility because we've lived on a road where the speed limit was like 45 miles per hour. So people were like flying by. I'm like, huh, no one's stopping to look at my apples. And I had no sign or anything. But our neighbors ended up buying them. So that's like my first real interaction with entrepreneurship um, and taught me some valuable lessons, like be able to know how to do some market research. Um, you know, I think that it taught me that success, at least the beginning of that lesson, um, I was taught at the beginning of a lesson there that like success comes with many failures. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it first started. That's really awesome. Okay, so let's let's fast forward a bit to now. Um, I guess camping and getting into the outdoors and sort of the the start yeah. of sway. Yeah. So, grew up again in North Carolina. Um, did go camping quite frequently, uh, just because of the area. And I was in this group that called Pathfinders. So it's similar to Boy Scouts, except it was like a co-ed thing, and a lot of the churches kind of did it. So we would go on multiple camping trips per year. So I got a pretty good feel for what that was all like. And then growing up, um, you know, ended up going to college in Tennessee, um, Chattanooga area, there's very much of an outdoorsy kind of place here. So it's kind of always been with me. 
in regards specifically to Sway, I never like thought like, oh yeah, I want to start an outdoor company. But where the idea kind of came from, if I'm, I'm going to go ahead and roll into that, that's cool. Like when I started um, my, what was it? This is the end of my sophomore year in college. Um, I had the opportunity to go live in the Philippines for a year to go do construction management. That was at the time was the associate's degree I was doing in college. So this is in 2013 in the summer. And, um, I had right before I was about to go overseas for a year, um, I was going to be leaving in August. Me and some friends were like, Hey, you know, let's have one last hurrah. Let's go get all the buddies together and let's go camping out in the Akoe. So that's a local lake here. Um, very close to where they actually had the, uh, outdoor part of the Olympics in 1998 when it was in Atlanta, they did a lot of like white water stuff up in there. So we went up in there and camping and I took a, a basic hammock and um it was an eno hammock actually and a sleeping bag and threw it up in there now something you gotta understand about tennessee is that it gets really hot in the summer but not only really hot it gets like really humid so when i was going in august at the night time we were lucky if it was getting down to like 65 70 degrees at night and even still like i hopped in that sleeping bag after a days of fun um and threw the sleeping bag inside the hammock and after like 30 minutes, the breeze coming off the water, I felt just like my backside had this irritating chill on it. And I was like, guys, why is no one insulating hammocks? And if they are, how come we have not heard about them? Because hammocks, for those of you who are into that stuff, like they were exploded, had exploded all over the East Coast by that point, like on every college campus, every outdoor festival, you name it. But when it came to like the camping aspect of it, you know, we take a camping, but I'd never heard of anything you could kind of get to keep your backside warm. And then I started to do more research and found that there was no all-in-one solution. You could buy like kind of the under quilts and the top quilts and stuff, but nothing super um, like specific to that niche of like, hey, all-in-one system, I want to just be able to throw it up in a matter of seconds and pack it down. Is that possible? So that's kind of how it all started. Uh, okay, so you you clearly realize there's a hole in the market for the sway hammock. What was did you have any experience sort of prototyping and like going through like the manufacturing process and like how long did that take? Oh man, it's still going on. So long story. I don't want to take up too much time, but yeah, how do you even condense all of that? Because there's so much. So <laughs> yeah. starting, I went to the Philippines. I came back and I still had that idea. Right. So I had. That year in the Philippines completely and radically changed my life and my perspective on just the world, on who I was as a person, the man I wanted to become, the people I wanted to surround myself with. I met a really awesome friend there and we became like really close friends. And he inspired me to a whole other level because his dad had actually started a really big company. Um, and, you know, I, like I said, when I was young, entrepreneurship, I think was always in my blood, but I couldn't even up until this point when I, in 2013, 14, at that point, I couldn't even tell you what entrepreneurship was, just really uneducated. So I went to the Philippines, became super inspired by this guy and him and his dad, like it started businesses and stuff. And then coming back to the U.S., um, I had an entrepreneurship class. I decided to change my major, take a, a principles of entrepreneurship class. And when I was taking that class, this was the one idea that came to mind. I was like, oh, yeah, I like because for the class, like you had to build out a business plan, maybe make some prototypes. And as soon as I started telling people about the idea, it was like it became the class hit. And then pretty soon everybody was talking about it all over campus. I was doing feasibility analysis uh, and stuff. And yeah, long story short, I mean, I had to make a prototype for the class. I ended up making two. So on Thanksgiving break, there was a girl that I was dating and her 
she's not my wife, which really works out. It's awesome. Uh, her, <laughs> her, um, uncle was a DIY do it yourself, big time hammock guy who had made his own hammocks and all this stuff. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm looking on YouTube, figuring out how to sew. And, um, she was like, oh yeah, my uncle's like really into hammocks. You should talk to him. So long story short over Thanksgiving break, I showed up at their house, went to his house cause they all live in the same town and locked myself in his attic with some fabrics and sewing different types of thread and insulation. And basically it was like, I need to sew out one of these things to make prototypes. So I did it. And wow, sewing is probably one of the most hard technical skills, in my opinion. I agree. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, like this guy was working with, uh, he had a commercial singer, so a commercial sewing machine. So for those of you who don't know, like these things have a giant flywheel on them. It, you could probably sew through like, almost a quarter inch of like leather or even metal. Like it's insane. And then the speed behind these things is just so fast. So I'm looking at videos, I'm getting frustrated. And I realized another, I realized another important lesson then, like if you get frustrated at something, walk away because you're going to end up breaking more things than fixing or even having any type of progress. So that was an experience and I, I need to back up a little bit. So the uh, guy that I had met in the Philippines, him and his dad, I, had pitched them on the idea on this idea. Cause I knew, you know what they had the experience they'd had. And before I made these prototypes, they actually enabled me to make the prototypes. Cause they're like, yeah, like this is a good idea. Um, the guy's son was like, Hey, you know, or the guy's father want to say Jim for the sake of it. Um, he was like, Hey, you and my son should totally partner on this. And I'll give you some funds to like make some prototypes and stuff like that. So it just gave me like the the confidence that someone believed in me enough to like throw some money at it to make some prototypes. I did that Thanksgiving break. I did another over a Christmas break. Time progressed, and then they ended up flying me out to Washington State that following year, 2015, um, to visit a potential third party like manufacturer. So like what they their job was like, hey, you know, we take your designs, whatever thing you have, your bill of materials, and we kind of build out a sample for you. And they did that, and man, like it was a great experience, super stressful. But they, the company that was going to try to manufacture them or broker the manufacturing relationships, they were wanting something like fifteen grand to make a second round of prototypes. That's crazy. And I'm thinking it's so insane. And I was like, "There's no way." So I started bouncing around the U.S. Go bouncing around the U.S. I ended up having conversations with well over seven uh, manufacturers. Excuse me, and. Like wh one thing came clear pretty quickly after about a year of doing that is like one, the U S sewing labor force is not only very small, but very aged. So your average like technical sewer who can do the kind of stuff that you want to do is probably in the age, like early, early fifties, late forties, like that's your average age. So there's nothing wrong with that age, but you know, when you're trying to adapt to a bunch of new type of techniques and stuff, it makes it very hard. And all of these manufacturers that I worked with all the way from like Missouri to Florida to North Carolina, they were like, Hey, you know, we're interested, well, yada, yada, send us some stuff, but they all wanted a ton of money up front and like the promise of like a lot of volume to be able to get started. And they were all super interested in government contracts. So we did like a spin off and like getting ourselves registered to be a government contractor and we're like okay maybe we'll make some for the military that was all a waste of time at least in the, at, at this point and we let that happen and when it all came to a head because we had started a kickstarter um because i finally come to a point like okay we need to do that in 2018 we're gonna make it real so we did the kickstarter we did like 
uh, almost $19,000 in sales. Like it was, I did the Kickstarter myself. I had some buddies make a video. Like it was a success because we set the goal for 10,000, but it wasn't quite as big as I was hoping for. But nevertheless, I had a manufacturer in the US that was just down the road from us that I could visit like 45 minutes away. I had given them everything that they needed to make our samples. And this is going on during the Kickstarter. So they had samples already made for each product. They had all the fabrics. They had all of the patterns. They had all the drawings. They had bill materials, literally everything. And I showed up after four months where I was supposed to pick up our new samples, like production ready, what we call the gold sample. And they had nothing. They had two pieces of fabric sewn together destroyed like half of the other materials because their laser cutter like did some kind of funky design all over it and like ruined it and i'm like oh my goodness what am i going to do and luckily i had an amazing um experience with these guys from asia who were knocking on my door several factories and i was like you know what kickstarter ends in two weeks i need to make sure that we fulfill this thing so i literally hopped on a plane, set up a little schedule to go visit several factories. And within the first uh, the, within the first three hours of being on the ground in Asia with these samples, um, they already had in hand, they were making me like production-ready samples. And I was just completely blown away by, by, by that because they knew that we weren't going to have a ton of volume. They knew that we were a small company and that we probably didn't have a lot of money. Yet, from the moment I stepped off the plane in, where was it? It was in... Um, in Ningbo, China, which is not too far from Shanghai, they picked me up. They housed me, like whether in a factory or in a, like a really nice hotel. They fed me, like everything. I was completely taken care of, and it it just it just blew my mind that we, you know, because I was really wanting to do this in the U.S. U.S. made manufacturing, like you can have things really close, uh, close and tight on a rope, but it just blew me away the fact that they were gonna that they were opening up their doors to me and just being so hospitable. And I know that there's, you know, you have like kind of the, the back and forth of like, Oh, you know, there's the communist government and like, don't get me wrong. It's not perfect. And they have a ton of issues, especially when it comes to surveillance, but just in the hospitality of it all for making something happen, I felt like, man, they really put us to shame. And it was just too, it made me kind of sad, but at the same time inspired. So that's a little bit of a off topic, I guess, not so much, but yeah, that's kind of how we got started. And now we're in two different factories in Asia and we continue to grow. That's awesome. And I feel like whenever you're manufacturing a product, that's always the biggest nightmare <laughs> to figure out. <laughs> um, like just listening to that story, it clearly took years <laughs> to work oh, yeah. through the whole kind of process. And you're kind of still fine tuning it. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Like just to interject a little bit, like I was coming back last year because we wanted, we did our, um, Kickstarter ended in May. I was going to try to deliver in October. We ended up delivering in late November and then January for both products, two different factories, two different products. And I was coming back from Germany um, and my manufacturers like pinging me and they didn't, one of them didn't actually realize how small we were. And he's like emailing me and like almost, uh, he was really upset on WeChat and email. He's like, look, like Sway needs to pick up the detail here. They need to be able to like do this X, Y, and Z. And like, I've never done any of this stuff before. And I like called him and I'm like basically crying because I'm so stressed and wigged out. Like I'm putting together this build materials, trying to like get all of these suppliers lined up from, you know, some in the U.S. and I need to get some in Asia. It is a real struggle, but I just got to give props to our one manufacturer for that makes the IRA. This guy, like even though we were completely underqualified, he really like held my hand and guided me through that process to be able to go and make, you know, a hundred pieces of something, which doesn't sound like a lot, 
but a hundred pieces of the same thing that you have to do a lot of planning for was not an easy feat. I want to ask you a couple questions. How many pairs of pants do you own that you truly love? How long does the average pair of pants that you own last? Lives in Designs was founded on the idea of creating the perfect pair of pants for any adventure. I've personally been wearing their canvas pants for the last five months and I love them. I've used them climbing, hiking, camping around New York City and Livzin's mission is to really help people do more with less. They do this by creating pants and other products that are multi-use and that last. Livzin Designs offers a lifetime at cost repair program to keep your gear lasting long and our clothing out of the landfill. In addition to a lifetime manufacturer's warranty against defects. To learn more, head to livesin.com. That's L-I-V-S-N.com. Tribe Alpha is great e-commerce for the great outdoors and can help you improve the performance of your e-commerce site. With over 25 years of experience navigating the ever-changing online marketplace, Tribe Alpha has the tools to improve your site. Whether your focus is B2B, B2C, wholesale, or dealers, Tribe Alpha can help. And Ready Eddy podcast listeners get a special discount. Just visit tribealpha.com slash deal to receive a 10% discount off their standard pricing. Their web development experience coupled with their passion for outdoor adventure make Tribe Alpha the perfect partner for your outdoor e-commerce site. Visit tribealpha.com slash deal. That's tribealpha.com slash deal. Okay, so you you work through the manufacturing hurdles. Uh, you fulfill the Kickstarter campaign in um, late 2018, right? And mm-hmm. or is it early 2018? Yeah, so it was late 2018. Late we 20. delivered at the beginning of this year. Yeah. Okay, so what what's the growth been like since then? You're you're solely focused on direct to consumer, correct? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we continue to grow. Like it's just not as fast as we wanted it to grow. So. We did 20,000 sales in since we've got a total of like 60,000 in sales. And it's still very much a small business. And it's it's been a struggle because when I was in Germany, um, that was back in October, November of this last year, I went there for an entrepreneurship uh, convention and I won this pitch competition at a, um, a thing called Hive Camp, H-Y-V-E Camp. And it was, yeah, essentially like a hackathon if you're familiar with like the tech industry. Like hackathons for like people. Yeah. So this one was for like kind of consumer goods and everything all encompassing. I won that. And in winning that, there was an investor. There were three parties that were really interested in investing. One of them had like really deep connections in Denali. One had, and that's a European, which actually they just closed. I don't know if your listeners will know about them, but Denali is like a huge retailer in Europe. So anyway, they're completely closed. But the other two parties were. Um, another guy who was really big into construction and somebody else who was really big into like food distribution. We ended up picking the guy who was in the, in the food distribution. And he had said like, he really liked all the recommendations because he sent people to this event to kind of keep an eye on things. He was really impressed. And I talked to him on the phone and he's like, yeah, like, what do you need? And what do you want? And I was like, well, we need hundred thousand dollars for X, Y, Z. And he's like, okay, great. So we got it all set up with his lawyers um, ready for signatures. And basically last minute, like he backed out and was like, actually, let's not do a hundred grand. Let's start with 20. Actually, let's start with 10. And it kept just falling down. And now I know like if you have to, if that kind of stuff starts happening, you know, just cut your ties and move on. Cause I ended up wasting a lot of time trying to convince this person to put in that money. 
money would have helped us grow exponentially in terms of like our team, but really in just capital to be able to create more product and do necessary to get that out to market. And that backing out like really stunted our growth because I had a whole team of people that I was going to be contracting with and had to be like, actually, guys, sorry, it fell through. And so that's that. We continue to grow. Right now, we are in kind of a like the past couple of months, we've I've put us into like a, a cruise control phase because our biggest sales come in at November and then it like really starts going downhill basically until like right now is the worst time for retail, but specifically like cold outdoor products. Um, May or excuse me, like end of May, June and July are really rough until you start getting more into the cooler temperatures as they come from out West. And I, we're in a place where we're kind of on cruise control and I'm talking to another guy right now who has been in the outdoor industry for like 17 years. And I think we're pretty close to having him join as an, potentially an investor, but really his experience and just being able to take with other companies, he's taken product from the, the concept idea all the way to full fruition, like to market. So yeah, I mean, that's basically where we are. Right, so that's awesome. Now, um, how have you guys gotten the word out there? Like from the, the sales that you've made up to this point, is it uh, word of mouth, um, Facebook ads? Like what have you guys been doing that's really been helping to sell uh, the product? Yeah, so we've been doing a lot of things. Um, but that's been most helpful, I would say, is so we get a lot of organic traffic to our websites that's direct and it's hard to measure like who, like if someone just types in sway hammocks, you know, it's, it's hard to tell if like, okay, did that person see a sway ad in the past? Is that someone following us because they saw or listened to our podcast or read one of our articles or a blog or whatever. But I would say ultimately like Facebook, Instagram, especially Instagram right now, like ads are way underpriced and undervalued because just the amount of people you can reach with a relatively low amount of, of cost in the beginning, like your cost per acquisition, even the lifetime value, when you can like add all that out and, and put it next to each other, like that Facebook and Instagram, specifically Instagram, is our best performer. Um, but I mean, it's a lot of word of mouth too, because you know, the Kickstarter obviously gave us a big boost in terms of PR. We had companies reaching out to us wanting to write about us or um even manufacturers like that's how we got in contact with some manufacturers so i think that was a really big help but like another big thing has been one of our insulation providers that supplies a lot down we partner with them it's a little bit higher price it's a good quality product but they offer their pr company like in-house pr company to work with us to get our stuff out there so like your junkie or backpacker magazine like we've sent testers to all these companies and they're like writing stuff about us so it's a mixture of different things. Like obviously Ready Yeti doing this kind of a, a um, giveaways are, are huge because being able to like get lists of these people who are interested in this type of stuff is also huge. So it's a plethora of things. Definitely. It's never one thing. <laughs> if only it was that simple. <laughs> um, what would you say have been some of the biggest mistakes that you've made up to this point with Sway? Oh, man. So. I mean, they never stop, so it's really hard to tell. Um, I that comes to mind is when we did the Kickstarter, I added, I had two products, and then I had two links in, in the within each product, and then I had four colors of each product. So you can do the math there. It's like right, ton of SKUs. <laughs> yeah, the SKUs are just way too long, and I was like, oh no, more options is good. 
idea because while the premise we were able to do the two lengths and we were able to do the two lengths for the ira we had to um cut the different colors for the ira which was our biggest seller and basically just do one color so i, I called each customer by uh, manually which didn't take a whole lot of time it took a, a day or two to get a hold of everybody it wasn't terrible because there's only like 50 people but like creating these SKUs in the beginning too many colors and too many options that was probably the biggest takeaway because in the beginning like i, I remember this from college and in other presentations i like, kiss keep it simple stupid like right, that right, is right. like that's what it has to be in the beginning because if you've got something that truly is novel people are willing to bend on a, on a color that they want over, you know, like they'll, they'll, if they're early adopters, which is the people you want to go for, they're going to go for it. Most likely, no matter what the color, I mean, as long as you don't make it something hideous, like lobster pink or something, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It it works out pretty good. Um, So that was probably my biggest mistake. I mean, I've made mistakes with one manufacturer. Like when I went to China the first time, um, I visited two factories. We work with one of them still today, but one of them that we were working with, I realized pretty quickly that inside the factory, like there were just, the factory was nice, but the quality of the stuff they were making, while some people would say it's nice, I wasn't super impressed. Like stitch lines were kind of funky in some of the products they were making, like pieces of extra thread sticking out. And I just had like a gut feeling like this isn't going to work. And I, I trailed with them for like, close to two and a half months thinking and hoping that it would you know, happen, but they weren't enabled. They weren't in a spot where they wanted to take an in more initiative to like help it make it happen. Because I'll be honest, like in the beginning without the factories that we were, no way, like if they weren't willing to overextend themselves to help us make this happen, there's no way that it would have happened. It's just like, I have only been, I've been in China three times um, over the course of the past three years, so like once a year, but really I should be over there much more, but they have worked with me so closely. So my biggest mistake, I would say overall blanket statement over everything is not trusting my gut. Usually when I don't trust my gut, I get into trouble because I'm being romantic about what I think it should be or could be. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. As you get older, you slowly get better at that. And you're like, wait, no, don't listen to myself. <laughs> don't listen, yeah. listen to your gut. <laughs> Um, yeah, for sure. For so sure. where do you see Sway in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Oh, yeah, good question. So within the next year, it's going to be kind of slow because within the outdoor industry, if you want to do things right, um, at least in my opinion right now, I believe you need to have two channels of revenue, right? So right now we are direct to consumer. We need to open up um, a, an arm of revenue for retail. And retail is struggling mega hard right now, but we want to get into um, like what's called the grassroots outdoor Alliance into these specialty retail stores and get our products out there for the, for a sake of marketing, but for a sake of like another revenue stream, because enabled to right now with direct to consumer, we can get by terribly by, by planning a year in advance. And honestly, I haven't even been doing that as much as I should. It's been more like six months in advance. We need to be planning two years in advance. And that's why I'm kind of excited about this potential guy coming on board because if we're able to kind of set out a two-year timeline, we can have next season and next next season's products already being developed ahead of time. So as we go forward, we can have retailers looking and buying our product six months before it gets released to the general public. And we can have purchase orders already ready so that when it's time 
for those to come in and we get paid, we can be putting a lot of money and plan to put money toward marketing of new products that are going to come online in terms of like direct to consumer. So where do we see us in five years? Well, um, to just the one year, like in the next one year, we're going to be doing a lot of planning in the next five years. We'll have a good system going to where we're not just in the hammock world, um, but reaching out into the outdoor space of, we have a, a kind of a philosophy of comfort, security, warmth at our company. So that's a whole story in itself. But simply put, in all of the gear that we create, in all of the interactions we have, we want to instill those three pieces, comfort, security, and warmth into who we are as a company. So for example, when I meet you, like I want to make sure that you are comfort, secure, and like feel the warmth of the relationship so that as to say like that we are here to invest in it. And it's the same way with the products we create. What we want them to be comfortable, always secure, like, because, you know, we're hanging you off the ground, like, especially when hammocks and stuff, we want to make sure that you're secure and it has a zipper, it holds you tight. Not really tight, but you get what I'm saying. And then the warmth, um, like being able to m- kind of build back in that comfort, what we were talking about, like with the warmth, it helps you just feel more in tune. Like you can f- like relax in nature. That's what it's all about is getting people back in nature and relaxing. So in going forward, as we create more products, we're going to continue to instill that kind of philosophy. And going off of how we've created Sway now with the Primus and the Ira, they're like all-in-one systems. So whenever we create new gear and we have plans for it, it'll be like, how can we take as much as we can and put it into one product so that it has maximum efficiency and usability? Right. I think that's really, really smart. Now, um, what would you say is the best part about running Sway? The experience gained. So I haven't taken, I mean, aside from like buying meals and and travel and stuff, I haven't taken a single dollar out of the business. Um, So I haven't gotten rich off of it by any stretch of the imagination. But I have gained such a knowledge base that will continue to grow and and this experience i believe translates into so many different industries wherever i end up long term short term whatever there's just so many life lessons to be applied from you know the the letdowns and the hardship of finding manufacturing or the hardships and letdowns of working with excuse me of working with um investors or you know we had a partnership that went bad it's just created such a perspective for life and how to deal with hard times and just to be like a little more transparent for the sake of your listeners to for the good story like when i was 16 um, my father passed away and it wrecked my life but going through life and like you know being able to overcome through the people that really reinvested themselves back into me and if you don't mind i'll just tell a little bit of the story so yeah sure the comfort security warm thing, like that comes back to that story of how I'm like losing my dad. So to be even a little more transparent, like he took his life and it wrecked me of a lot of comfort in my life. It wrecked me of a lot of, it took away a lot of security and who I was as a man of who I was going to become and just the warmth and overall atmosphere of life. Like everything seemed very cold and dark. And I was really, really fortunate to have a lot of people specifically men, cause that was what I was missing. A lot of men reinvest themselves back into who I was as a person. And I quickly began to realize that those pieces that my dad kind of left behind or, you know, took from me or whatever, however you want to put it as an analogy, those men were reinvesting those pieces back into who I was. And I was really blessed to be able to know like what character traits 
were good and which weren't, which I think we all, when we're young, we have like a pretty good moral compass. We know what's good and bad. And like the comfort, security and warmth aspects, like I was able to pull those in and I saw how those men were like creating the man of who I was supposed to be by the way that they treated me and took me under their wing. Like all of that reinvested back into me now, like in the, in the, um, gear that we create, you know, in the relationships we have, that's where I kind of put back that comfort, security and warmth philosophy or view on life. And, you know, you're asking like the experience, do you, what do you, what do you think is the most valuable thing of it all? Like it's gotta be for me, the experience and knowing how to address a situation where they're good or bad, how to address it with that view of how do I make this person or how do I make this situation become comfortable? How do I make it secure? Like what makes it, what's the foundation that needs to be laid in this relationship to make it healthy? What's the foundation that needs to be laid in this product to make it great? What's the foundation in any situation that needs to be laid? So kind of going through that comfort, security, and warm thing, like it's all about the experience and perspective that I've gained. I think that's my greatest value, my greatest asset, something that'll carry me with me through the entirety of the sway journey or and then through the entire journey of life. Definitely. And I, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing that story and like what really drives you and sway and kind of the whole inception story. And I think, um, you know, a lot of listeners will definitely get a lot uh, from hearing that and like really understanding you as a person and the the mission really behind um, Sway. And, um, you know, with that, anyone who's listening to this podcast, um, you can actually enter to win a hammock system from Sway along with a ton of other uh, camping and backpacking gear. You just head over to readyeddy.com for your chance to win. And with that, Seth, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and again, sharing your story and I'm excited to see what Sway uh, does in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate you having me on here, and good luck with Ready Eddie and everything you guys are doing. I'm super pumped to see how it turns out as well. And yeah, I want you guys to win this hammock, so enter. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.